Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the VC Pruna podcast, a podcast that provides a unique perspective of the startup world through the lens of venture capitalists and entrepreneurs. I am your host Dikjay and today I have with me Ritu Verma, co-founder and managing partner at Ankur Capital, which is one of the first women-led VC funds in India. Ankur Capital is a sector agnostic early stage VC fund focused on investing in startups that are building for the next billion Indians. The fund has already invested in some marquee startups like Wasabi, Rupify, Cropin, Niramai among many others. Prior to starting Ankur Capital, Ritu, who is an ex-physicist, worked on bringing innovation from the lab to the market for companies like Unilever and Philips and also has experience of investing in IP-led renewable technologies. In this episode, Ritu talks about her path leading up to venture capital, the thesis and vision at Ankur Capital, learnings from past investments in agri-tech and health tech, common blind spots faced by founders in the 0 to 1 phase, learnings from fund 1, challenges faced as a GP, collaborating with fellow VCs and more. I thoroughly enjoyed my chat with Ritu on all things venture capital and I hope you enjoy this conversation too. So without much ado, let's jump in and find out what Ritu has to share. Hey Ritu, welcome to the VC Pruna podcast. Thank you so much for taking out time with us today. Thank you. Glad to be here and glad you thought of me. No, absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you with us. So Ritu, you know, for our listeners who don't know you yet, maybe we can start uh, with a brief background about yourself and your path leading up to founding Ankur Capital. Sure. So it's a little tortuous path. So I'm not sure I want to go down the whole route of this whole path. But uh, I used to be a physicist. I did a PhD in physics. But I think the one thing that sort of ties all of what I have done is the fact that you know I went through large companies, smaller companies, running some of my own stuff. Is that I think I always was interested in sort of you know innovations taking root and taking off. So that's sort of what I did throughout my career, whether it was in a large company. globally different markets or uh, not that led me to uncle capital because essentially we are only investing early stage and instead of doing one thing from start to getting into the market i get to be parts of many journeys from start to being part of market so it's super exciting and that's that's sort of how i see myself and why i am in this and why we set up uncle capital Uh, from a more personal perspective, as opposed to a market perspective, so obviously market pieces to it. Both Rama and I, you know, saw an opportunity. There were, you know, entrepreneurs out there. There was this market that was booming. You know, had the potential to boom. There were winds of change that were afoot that would allow companies to actually grow and thrive in uh, these markets. And we'd spent time in these markets. Let's be clear. So I think those all things came together to sort of why we set up our company. Right, and it's it's a very interesting background that you know you started as a, a physicist and you know ended up in BC. Uh, could you help us connect the dots and you know what were some inflection points you know along the way that you found your calling with VC uh, and you know wanting to work alongside early stage founders? So you know everyone thinks this is the two things are very odd. They're actually very similar to me. I have a PhD in physics. So when you get into a PhD in physics, you get into solving some difficult problems, and then you have to get out, right? So it's very exciting problems, but it has its ups and downs as a journey because you don't know where you're headed. But at the same time, you have to get out at some point of time. You can't be a student for the rest of your life, right? Essentially. So similarly, as a VC, we get into very exciting companies, right? But the path ahead is unknown, and we have to navigate that path up and down. And at some point, we have to exit. So I see the two as Exactly the same. 
I think I had a, a deviations along the way uh, where I thought you could do some of this in larger companies, right? And yes, you can, but larger companies are have a risk appetite, which is makes sense for them, which may or may not be right for doing more cutting edge or disruptive things. And so the learning for me along the way was that if this is what I wanted to do, doing this at a large enterprise was not the place to do it, but you needed to do it outside in entities that were less risk averse. Right, got it. And, you know, we are seeing a lot of that happen now in the ecosystem as the ecosystem is maturing. But when you started out, I'm sure you're clearly an outlier, you know, in terms of the diversity that, you know, even that we have today in the ecosystem, there's still a long way to go. And, you know, having entered the ecosystem at the time that you did, you know, 2013, 2014, it's remarkable. And I'm sure it's it's broken a lot of barriers. And we'll talk about that, uh, you know, later in our discussion. Uh, but coming back to Ankur, right? Tell us, uh, you know, about the genesis and, and the vision that you had, you know, when you started Ankur. And also maybe you could touch upon, you know, the thesis, what it was initially and how it has evolved, uh, you know, over time. So I think the genesis of Ankur was a couple of gaps that we saw in the ecosystem here, right? So one is that, you know, early stage and early stage support. And as you very rightly put it, the ecosystem is super weak, right? And from day one until this date, I think one of our views was that, look, uh, money is one part of it, but, you know, helping accelerate ventures is the second part of, of it all, right? So from a financing, there was the gap. There were people who were bringing in larger check sizes, needed things to be de-risked at a different level. But what we call today the zero to one game was missing, essentially. So that was one gap that was sort of there. I think from a market opportunity perspective, again, there was people talking and doing things, you know, the, the consumer market taking off on the growth that was happening in India and uh, looking at what I today call tier one markets, essentially, right? But I think that there was an opportunity in other markets, right, which were more the mass markets, next billion markets. You had to get business models right for those to kind of work. And you had to get products right. You had to get you know, ways and means to get to your customers or people who are suppliers. And that, you know, there were signs of that starting off. As I mentioned earlier, both Prima and I had spent time in these markets, right? And when you got it right, you saw the large markets. I mean, today this all sounds a little cliche. Of course, they're last mar large markets. But I think at that particular time, for us, I think it was sort of about, you know, looking at these markets, which we really believe were actually markets that had a lot of potential. And there were the underlying things that were happening, like, for example, digital, right? It was it was happening at that point of time. And if you went out to here, you know, you would see it. I mean, I remember a trip out to Sitara where the farmer walked about, like, you know, I don't know, like a kilometer or whatever to stand under a tree to get signal to play, you know, those games that would come on those Nokia Dabba phones here, right? Now, okay, fine. I mean, that was one way is how it was getting in there, but it could be used for a lot of other stuff, essentially. So I think that those were trends that we also saw in the market of saying that this would help unlock what perhaps was really difficult in the past. So that became a theme for Uncle as we set that up and set up on the journey. And I think one of our first investments actually played on this theme, which was in agriculture, which said, look, here's technology and technology is coming into a market that's really hard to access. But uh, this tool allows you to create a level of access, create an overlayer of aggregation that wouldn't have been possible. So that was pretty much the thesis of which it started. Happy to chat more about sort of, you know, some other things that we tried, some things that worked that we hadn't quite planned for, but worked very well, and others that we thought might happen, but didn't quite happen, essentially. 
Yeah, and you know, we could probably double click on that while talking about the focus sectors, right? That you started out focusing on initially uh, in your fund one. And now, you know, you recently uh, announced the close of your second fund and how you are expanding onto those focus sectors. So if you could walk us through that journey of looking at, you know, target areas or focus sectors through the VC's lens and how you expanded upon that as you launched a second fund. Yeah, so uh, we were sector agnostic, we still are sector agnostic. Nothing's changed about that whole base, right? So I will like to say, you know, we're a forward-looking business, I, you know, and today in India, things come from all different ways. If I had listened to everybody at that point of time, or we had listened to everybody at that point of time, we would never have looked at agriculture, right? I mean, it was like out there, right? So for us, we saw this as market as like, you know, not as that, oh, this sector versus that sector, but just sort of saying, what are the different problems? What are the different things that people are addressing, right? And do they fundamentally somewhere ride on that thesis that I talked about earlier? And so uh, I think the sectors evolved as they went along, right? So I could tell you that we thought we would do a lot of ag tech. We didn't. We did a lot of ag tech, right? I wouldn't have told you that we would have done ag tech. So I think, uh, you know, we're sector agnostic. So that's, that's something that we've been very clear about for day one. Uh, of course, we develop expertise in particular sectors, and then that leads to you being more nuanced in that sector and pursuing opportunities. And I mean, we looked at some things in fund one, which were more about saying that, look, there are, these were more physical product kind of pieces here, where I think they were more being adapted to India's and saying, hey, large market in India, perhaps just get adapted and unlock those markets. I think that wasn't necessarily, didn't quite give us the growth stories that we were looking for. But what that morphed into was actually finding opportunities in what, what was very heavy IP-led deep tech companies that actually not just unlock things for India, but unlock things globally. You know, there was a trend that was happening and it's still happening that we're very bullish about where there's a lot of actually serious, serious innovation happening in the Indian context. And because it's been done in the Indian context, it takes into account the kind of markets that are in India uh, and uh, is developed like that. So it then goes to a lot of other markets globally and is relevant for those markets. So I think that's a super exciting trend that came up and uh, we continue to be bullish about that and that kept happening until for us. Got it. And, you know, you mentioned uh, like you didn't really focus on a particular sector, but you ended up uh, making multiple investments in, you know, two specific sectors, especially in fund one. And, you know, with time, I'm sure you would have developed that expertise and some nuanced, you know, observations from those sectors. So that's what I want to, you know, particularly talk about, you know, agri-tech and health tech. And you have some, you know, very incredible companies in your portfolio that are, you know, performing really well. And you backed them uh, when there was no focus area called health tech or agri-tech. You know, these were sectors which are still developing. Yeah. Um, it was probably broadly categorized. So, you know, want to understand, uh, having seen these startups, uh, you know, closely over the last four or five years, uh, what are some trends or inflection points that you've observed over time and that could uh, be a guiding light for founders that are still and now building on, uh, you know, health tech and agri-tech uh, today? I think three things I would say here. One is obviously the penetration of digital, right? And I mean, that's the geo effect or whatever sort of happened. I mean, yes, it was sort of happening, but it happened at mass scale. So the inflection points of working in these markets, fundamentally, you would say that, that that's when it happened, when there's a phone in everybody's hand, everybody's perfectly comfortable with it. I think the second inflection point is investors recognizing that these are markets, right? Money is super critical, right? And uh, I call that an inflection point because you need the capital to hit your escape velocities here, right? And I think that's happened. I mean, people have realized these are things that can happen. Tech-enabled health is really like 
I mean, a weird concept, like right? call it that, right? People were like, what the hell are you talking about, right? But if you want to be a, have a multiplier effect, the multiplier effect comes from tech. I mean, we don't have enough radiologists in this country to do uh, mammography for every woman in this country. Let's be clear. That's going to take us decades to build, right? If we get that. But if you can have software do that, that's a multiplier effect, period, right? And so um, money recognizing that this is actually a way here that can sort of happen, I think is a second inflection point, I would say. And the third, which I think is very critical, is talent recognizing that there are opportunities here, right? You're not going to grow any company without the talent. In 2013, 2014, working for a startup, you know, I'm sure everybody's parents were like, what's wrong with you? Or if you'd already been in a job and wanted to jump off, they'd be like, what's wrong with you? Right? So lots of barriers. I'm sure they're not all gone away, but it's way, way more acceptable and way, way more acceptable to start off as well. And again, to be looking at these sectors, to be looking at these markets that uh, yesterday would not have been okay. So I think those three things are big inflection points that uh, we have in the Indian ecosystem. Got it. No, definitely, you know, some of these tailwinds that you mentioned, uh, we're seeing them, you know, play out, you know, live today. You know, uh, I want to shift gears here, Ritu, and also talk about one of the topics that has gained importance over time, you know, as the ecosystem has matured, uh, which is the value addition, you know, from your investors, uh, especially in today's competitive environment, capital abundant environment. And founders are, you know, now being cognizant about who they are taking those, you know, dollars from and bringing on the cap table because they really want to see how investors can add value. So how do you, you know, see Ankur adding most value, uh, you know, in which areas do you see partnering with founders more? Uh, in, in your portfolio? So we play the zero to one game, basically, right? And the way we see the zero to one game is the fact is that it's a hustle. So I'd love to be able to say, you know, we do A and we do B and we do C, okay? But it's a hustle, right? And what, what we, we think we do and we'd like uh, you to do is our skins in the game. So we're here to do the hustle with you. And, you know, your hustle might be different for somebody else's hustle, right? Or what's necessary. But we'll do our best to pull what of that, what we can into the picture to make that piece happen, right? And there's a wide range of things from our experience across our portfolios that sort of come into play. Uh, and, you know, if I, if I were to look at the portfolio as a whole, some companies need more of A, others need more of B. And it's not static because we're in a growing game here. Things are changing. It changes, right? Absolutely. So, um, we're we're here to do the hustle industry, you know. So I mean, somebody likened that. I mean, we've had different statements about this, right? Like you're like a added co-founder come to sort of help here, right? Or you know, hey, you're that BD person that we didn't help, you know. I mean, things like that. So we've done. I mean, obviously we do strategy and fundraising and all of that good stuff to help our portfolio, but we've also done business development. We've also helped with hiring. I mean, wide range of stuff. And and I think the main thing I would say is that, you know, everybody on the team you know, has the skin in the game here with you, right? So we want to make this work. And I think that's our USP of sort of being deeply embedded to help you go on this process there. Yeah. And you mentioned a very, you know, uh, interesting point and it's every founder will be in, in their own journey, in their own life cycle uh, of, you know, scaling their startup and uh, there'll be a nuanced need. Uh, and that's, again, another important factor that, you know, also VCs need to identify and try to, you know, make things work for them at those yeah. critical yeah. Uh, junctures. I'll tell you something that we do, right? And we're just about to sort of host and we are actually in bits of hosting this, right? So one of the things that we've been doing, we've been doing this for five years now, six years. This is the sixth edition that we're running, right? And we host, host this Uncle Founders Meet, right? 
one of the things that, and we learned this from our entrepreneurs, right? So we got other entrepreneurs in the ecosystem to come talk to with our portfolio, right? And you just see the diversity of approaches, right? So there is no one size fits all at this journey. Everybody's on a different journey, but you can learn, you can adapt from other people's journeys. And, you know, we found that this works very well. It's not that you're saying, please look at this person's journey and replicate that journey. It's more like, you know, Here's how this person navigated their journey, whether they built, you know, make my trip or whether they built big basket. You know, are there any nuggets from here that might be useful for you on your journey, right? So, but beg, borrow, steal from everybody to make your journey your own journey, right? So that's, I mean, that's one of the things we've realized that, you know, that nuance for your journey is super important. It's not prescriptive. There's nothing prescriptive about this. Basically. No, absolutely. I agree with that. And, you know, VCs also can bring in a very, you know, diverse outside in perspective because, you know, founders are like focused on building all the time. And a lot of times, you know, VCs can bring in value by just providing an outsider's perspective. Uh, from from your experience so far, uh, are there any common blind spots, you know, that you see, especially early stage, first time founders come across uh, when they are, you know, starting and, you know, just scaling up from that zero to one journey? Um, yeah, and you brought up a very important point. It's true of anybody. I don't care if you're the biggest CEO in the world or whether you're like the CEO of a startup or ops or whatever it is, right? Uh, you're in the weeds. To step back and take a look and see what you're sort of doing, you know, is, is very critical, right? I mean, and that's why you bring other people on board, right? And you have to trust them and you have to use them as a sounding board because they're a mirror to what you're doing. Um, I think to, to your question of whether we see patterns, right? I mean, some of the patterns that we sort of see is that, you know, usually zero to one, I mean, you're very passionate about everything, right? Basically, and it's like your baby, right? So, you know, the transition from letting your baby not hold your hand and take the next steps, which means letting somebody else take the decision, those are tough transitions. And we see that across the board. Uh, sometimes it's also tough transitions when, you know, you're so passionate about it that, you, I mean, you're so deep in it, right? You know, there's a 360 of feedback around you, right? Your customer included, right? And if you're not going to say like, look, I'm going to listen to the customer, but I know better than my customer, then you're in trouble. So I think those are some of the things that we see that cut across doesn't matter what you're doing in your journey. And, you know, of course, different entrepreneurs have different ways to navigate that whole piece, but it's part of a journey that has to be navigated. Yeah, no, absolutely agree. And it's probably to do with, you know, how much you can uh, adjust your funnel, the feedback funnel yeah. uh, and apply it to, you know, your case and uh, apply it to the situation that you're going through and the timing of it, uh, you know, matters uh, more than anything. Yeah. So, you know, definitely valuable uh, perspective there. Uh, Ritu, I want to, you know, move on and talk about the fund too, uh, that, you know, is just closed. And uh, you also mentioned that, you know, you're going to look at certain focus sector areas, you know, with, with this fund too as well. Uh, but before we talk about that, as you were, you know, launching and pitching to your LPs, were there any learnings, you know, from your fund one th that you are bringing over, you know, as you start investing in fund two, or rather rephrase it, you know, uh, is there anything you would have done differently, you know, if you were starting fund one uh, all over again? Um, lots of things. <laughs> so look, I, I see a VC business as a business, right? At the end of the day, you know, it's not a static business, right? So you are learning, you are learning from what you do, your investments, your investees uh, from the market. It's a constant journey of learning and the market is evolved. So you have to kind of sort of adapt how it is, right? So I think um, LPs recognize that. And if, if you kind of can articulate what is the learnings and what are the changes that you're driving from the learning, I think that is a, that's a positive. 
right? Because they see you as a business. I mean, and I just think about the same way as we when we talk to an entrepreneur, right? If you tell me, look, this didn't work, Ritu, so we had to adapt to do this, right? I'm like, great, this person's thinking about what's happening in the market and tomorrow something else comes up that I don't can't predict. This person's going to think about how to adapt what they're going to sort of do. So I think it's no different for a VC, right? So from, you asked me if we'd had done things differently in fund one, you know, in hindsight, I can tell you lots of things that we could have done differently, right? Um, but I also have to tell you that at that particular point, there was a market that we were playing in, right? So let's say, for example, I'd love to say, I wish we had more money. But I can tell you that at the start of the journey that, you know, people now, early stage checks are like $2 million. If we didn't $2 million check for an early stage company, I don't know if you know what to do with it, right? So, uh, you know, so somewhere I would say that, you know, we did what we could at that particular point in the market. We did what we could from what we knew at that point of uh, our time in our lives. Um, you know, I think the learnings from that have to be adapted to what comes next in context with what the market is as well. So I'll give you one example, right? So I think from 2013 to whatever, right, you know, we saw majority of our companies, and I think this is true for a lot of VCs that you would talk to, you know, people wrote early checks, money wasn't enough. She said, okay, there are these like extension checks or pre-season, you give it your whatever name you like, yeah? But fundamentally, it wasn't like the mega check that was kind of happening, right? So everybody raised these plus rounds, if you want to call them that, right? Before they got to the Series A or the Series B or whatever else. That's not true anymore. Because they're getting capitalized at a different level on day one, right? So, yes, again, there will be some. But as a market, that's not really true anymore, right? As a market, because there are people who go straight. If five years back, this was like, you know, 10%, it's closer to 30 40% now. So, that's different. And so, I may say that we had those learnings that look, we thought it would go from zero to this thing. and happened, there were this intermediate stage. But at the same time, I will say markets have changed. So, I you know that learning is nice to have had, but the learning has to be adapted to what's real today. Got it. No fair point. And uh, I'm sure you took that learning uh, as you closed this fund, which is, uh, you know, substantially higher than yeah. uh, your initial fund. And, you know, that's that's the way the market has evolved. Or, you know, the checks has gone up. Uh, talking on those lines, uh, the competition has gone up as well. Uh, you know, the gap between you know, back-to-back funding rounds has compressed and it's a very, you know, competitive uh, environment. It's not easy to be a VC today and it's it's definitely difficult to, you know, to enter some of those competitive and high-value deals. So, you know, how are you adapting, uh, you know, to the current environment? Is there anything that you're changing in your approach, Uh, you know, be it uh, evaluation uh, frameworks or be it, you know, the pace of uh, decision-making? Is there anything different or any adjustment that you've made uh, to, you know, to adapt to this current fast-moving environment? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a fast-moving environment. It's a cash-resist environment. The pace of things are sort of different. So I think our pace has changed completely, you know, and that's fundamentally different from two years back. Let me say pre-COVID, post-COVID, you may call it that, right? It's a fundamentally different thing. So our pace has sort of changed, I think, from a deployment strategy. I think that's all, uh, you know, I mean, some checks have gone higher. We've also talked about going much lower and saying much earlier, you know, so there is adaptations of strategies in in that uh, piece of thing. I think what stays core to us still, right? I mean, we're backing entrepreneurs and we're backing the ideas that they want. So we have to be fully confident or comfortable with the person, people on the other side and roughly the area and the broad strokes of the business that is sort of being proposed here, right? I think that remains a constant. Right. And I think that's actually the crux of it all, at least at the stage that we sort of invest in. The rest is 
you know, things that we all like to know more, let's be clear, right? But uh, I think that part doesn't really change. But yes, space, quantums, partnerships, participations, all of those things are, are definitely adjusted. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you mentioned partnerships and it's, it works well if you are a collaborative, you know, player in the ecosystem, because it's not a, you know, a, a winner take it all market when it comes to the investment side. Yeah. So, you know, anything particularly uh, that you are, uh, you know, doing or seeing in terms of collaborations among VCs uh, and participating in deals as co-investors? No, absolutely. So I think, again, you know, if I go back to one of the things that I think worked well for us was the collaborations that we did in Fund One, right? So, uh, you know, one person can't do everything, right, basically. So to have the partnerships with other people who have different networks and different connects and different thought processes, mostly, and I'll say mostly because there are times that that can go awry if you guys are not on the same page, right? But mostly, and, you know, people that you're comfortable with, this all works actually much better than if you're sitting there by yourself, right? So for example, I mean, we're invested in one company with people from, you know, outside the country, people who are strategics, and everybody brings a different set of networks and value to the company. And that's beneficial to everybody, right? At the end of the day, because at the end, the company needs it all. It's not just one lens that the company needs for the business to thrive. It needs those different networks. It needs all of that. So I think that's that's super important, including funding networks, right? So I will not discount that because that's also very critical. So, you know, if I know a set of people in India and another person VC sitting somewhere else knows a whole bunch of people sitting in Europe, so be it. Great, right? We all have more people here to actually have a competitive funding round happening here. No, absolutely. And, you know, you also have those different levels of entering, uh, you know, the investment and, you know, having that expanded network as an investor helps, uh, especially as an early stage investor, because you want more follow on, uh, you know, for your portfolio company and uh, make capital available for them as in when, you know, uh, the startup requires it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, while we are talking about, you know, venture capital and the role of the GP here, you know, it's, it's tough and it's very close to, you know, being an entrepreneur, you know, all over again, starting a VC fund is, uh, is not easy. And you're like any other entrepreneur, you're going and pitching to LPs and, and start that fund in the first place. So from your past experience, you know, what has been uh, the most challenging uh, phase for you, you know, as a general partner, as a VC uh, over the last uh, decade or so? Look, it's a, it's a challenging business model, right? Let's start there, right? So fundamentally, as you put it, A, you have to raise the money. It's not like I can sell one widget tomorrow and increase my business and say, hey, it's not selling in, uh, you know, Bangra, let me move to Delhi, right? Or let's move to Delhi, right? I mean, that's not how it all sort of works, right, basically. And you're reliant on an external ecosystem, both as from the investees as well as sort of from exits. Right. And India has not really been the most, what should I say, liquid of all markets. Yeah. Right. So I, I think, you know, you're called an investor, but you should be called a collector at the end because fundamentally you have to return money, right, as a fund here. So I think uh, it's all in all a very challenging business. You know, the fixes are not short term, the fixes are much more long term, you know, because payouts are long term, it's a long term business. Uh, changes that you make today, whether they're positive or they're not, not positive, are not necessarily apparent till much longer. And I think that fundamentally is what makes this a really challenging business. Yeah, right. Most other businesses, you know, there's a short time frame in which if you adopt strategy acts, you will know whether that works or not. Right. If I want to do some marketing campaign, I'll know whether customers are coming or not. Right. And I can stop it. 
here that's you know reversal is very difficult you made a wrong investment you made a wrong investment you cut your losses move on basically and it's a long feedback cycle like you you know rightly pointed out long feedback cycle you know there many factors that go towards success right it's not one factor so i irrespective of what anybody says i totally disagree right it's a luck market teams you know all of it has to come together right and and when it will come together is anybody's guess right so sometimes people lie low but things turn around in for whatever right i'm sure there's many businesses for whom covid has turned things both positive and negative right now who would have predicted that right so so these things are just feedback loops are not fast and that's the most challenging part uh, anything that particularly stands out uh, you know as the most challenging time for you uh, you know while uh, managing ankur capital and i the by hands down the most challenging time was raising money as a first time fund manager right so there is no this thing it's a it's a humbling experience uh so i empathize with every entrepreneur out there because uh, i tell everybody we went both through the same thing right i mean it's just a different different part of the uh, value chain that's different but it's exactly the same thing right so it's just uh, you know developing a thick skin you know learning to laugh at comments that you otherwise were like where did that come from right so i think by far the most challenging right and and you mentioned right and we touched upon this earlier that you know entrepreneurs need that outside in perspective that they need that sounding board sometimes uh, as vcs who has been uh, your sounding board right all throughout this journey and especially you know coming in as an outsider who you know with a very different background and not the traditional you know uh, banking vc business no absolutely we've had and we still have sounding boards we continue to have sounding boards we have a lot of folks uh, that have been with us actually from uh, day one right mm-hmm. um you know i uh our senior investment director has been a sounding board and she's been there from day one you know our ic member pavan has been there from day one and he's been a sounding board i think because he was there part of the ic was a sounding board there are a bunch of other vcs as well in the ecosystem who were sounding boards for us as we went through this whole piece here so uh, definitely we couldn't have done this without our sounding boards Awesome. No, I, I mean that's definitely good to hear, and you know, probably a good indication to all a lot of emerging VCs, uh, first-time fund managers that are, you know, now venturing out on that journey. You know, having a sounding board is as critical for yourself, you know, as as much as it is important for uh, the founders. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, you know, wanted to touch upon the diversity aspect, right? Uh, and like yourself, you know, uh, being a women VC, uh, you know, is tough. It's still picking up. There is still a big gap, uh, I would say. and then diversity in terms of background right uh, the kind of background that you're coming in uh, with to start a fund in itself so you know what do you think are the prevalent barriers like even today that you see you know in venture capital and uh, how, what would be you know your thoughts on uh, people that are trying to enter and how should they overcome uh, these barriers two very good questions right so let me take the gender piece first right there just aren't enough women at top of the funnel is part of the uh, sort of the challenge here right and uh if we don't address the top of the funnel i think it's really hard to address the rest of the parts of the funnel so i think that's still a challenge in the ecosystem and glad to see that there are a lot more groups there's a lot more you know we are more than happy to sort of help complain about our experiences if that is useful to you know get this to a more equal balance yeah but the top of the funnel really has to go up 
here, right? And and uh, I can tell you, for example, when we recruit, the, the, it's not a 50-50 application here by any stretch, right? It's like, you know, 10-90. So that's the part that bothers me, right? That why is it 10-90? Why don't we have 50-50? And if, if we can't address this being 50-50 at that point, it's really hard to sort of address anything else down the line. I also think that, uh, you know, perhaps people in the past have said that the challenges of women on boards and things like that. Um, I think those things I hope are changing and that's not what's keeping people away. I think the same thing is true on the other side, though I think there's a different issue there, right? I would call ourselves an operator VC. Yeah. And, uh, you know, not an investment banker VC, right? And I think the early stage, if you look in more developed ecosystems, there are a lot more operator VCs that are there, essentially. Um, and I think the system is evolving for people to think about that, right? Uh, and I think the reason that there weren't enough operator VCs in the past was because a lot of operators were large company operators. So you had to be like me and be dissatisfied of working in a large company in order to say, look, I want to go here. And, and I'm happy to sort of go through the learning process again. But I think you'll see more of those. Right, as we have these successful startups, and we have people who've been parts of successful startups, been part of those journeys that sort of get up and are join VCs or start their own VC firms. So I think that's a stage issue. So I would say, uh, but I think you'll see many more of that happening. No, absolutely, we're seeing uh, you know that change. Uh, it's just hoping it accelerates, and you know we see that change uh, fast enough, especially in the next uh, two to three years. Yeah, because I mean, this, the early stage is really not about, you know, it's not uh, about, you know, Excel sheets and, you know, some other things that come in later. So uh, I, I think that it's a different lens. And so operator VCs would be great to have many more operator VCs. Yeah. And we're seeing that with change in, you know, uh, a lot of angel investors, you know, operator angels, uh, starting with angel investments, syndicates, and, you know, gradually, uh, you know, move on to micro VCs and, uh, uh, yeah. starting their own VC funds. Yeah. Great conversation so far, Ritu. Uh, you know, one one last question before we jump into the rapid fire. You know, how has being a VC influenced your personality, right, over the last seven, eight years? Um, I think I'm probably more patient than I used to be. <laughs> uh, I mean, you just uh, realize things, sometimes things do take time and all things don't go exactly the way that you expect them to sort of go. So you have to come to terms with that. So um, maybe my kids will one day say I'm more patient with them. I'm not sure about that, but <laughs> so, but I, you know. You know, Ritu, with that, uh, let's jump into our, you know, final segment, uh, the rapid fire. I'll uh, shoot some questions and, uh, you know, hope to get your immediate thoughts on the same. Go away. Okay. Uh, first one, uh, one thing that you'd like to change uh, to improve the state of the Indian startup ecosystem today. Talent, hiring, super necessary. More people, better quality people you know, the kind of talent that startups need, right? And that's the single most thing that if I had to change anything, forget the money, forget everything else. If you can get the talent first thing first, that would just... Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Ritu, if you had to give a TED talk, what topic would you choose and why? Irrationality and the value of it. So, you know, it's irrational to be an entrepreneur. Lots of decision-making happens in a very irrational fashion. But there are lots of positives for that, that irrationality years. So I think it's kind of fascinating because often the rationality doesn't necessarily answer all questions. Yeah. 
yeah and it, it doesn't bring a step change it might you know help with incremental changes but you know that approach changes the paradigm yeah yeah, yeah definitely so definitely uh, look forward to hearing you know that ted talk whenever <laughs> we get a hypothetical to... question <laughs> <laughs> no definitely worth a topic you know going deeper into and uh, you know hearing thoughts on uh, moving on uh, the most unusual uh, or memorable pitch meeting that you had with the founder i think perhaps one guy who started with i'm looking for a 150 million dollar valuation right like what do you do yeah i guess what's memorable about it was just interesting that uh, the entrepreneur's first thing on ask was on valuation so uh clearly that was the focus what was happening on the back side or something was not clearly a red flag and you know for founders yeah. to not start on that note uh, i'm sure it will come up in discussion with time but definitely not a place to start your discussion with the vc um okay last question uh, vcs and founders from the ecosystem uh, that you admire and look up to so i admire a lot of people essentially so i'm not sure that putting out a whole list etc is 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 useful um I, i guess i'm the type of person that i think there's lots to learn from everybody right i learn every day from my entrepreneurs basically i learn from you know other people in the ecosystem other vcs in the ecosystem etc so i would can't really point to one i think uh, you know i i said that like you know there are everybody's journey is their own journey right and i think that's no different for me but i think there's huge admiration and huge things for me to learn from a lot of people's journeys to sort of bring and adapt and here right so i uh, i had for me to say one it's a patchwork of uh, ad- admiration yeah, if i may say so yeah and you know just trying to push you there um, on, on the same question anyone specifically that that influenced you you know in your career as a vc or someone that you you know thought had a profound impact as you charted out this uh, path as a venture capitalist yeah i think um, you know i i had a past boss uh, and uh, you know i mean his his thing was i i think i was mentioning earlier about sort of risk taking right and saying his his point was that you know 30 years down the line you want to wake up and make sure you've done what you want to do basically right and and not be regretful of whatever journey that you might have taken right so i think that was a big influence in me and said that that means diving diving off the deep end please go dive off the deep end right in order to sort of do that right and i think that's was fairly um, sort of influential in me just sort of thinking about the fact that because it's always like oh maybe tomorrow not today so uh, but you know you got you should do what you want to do at least give it a shot yeah and, and i'm glad you know a lot of startups benefited with that plunge that you took you know by starting out ankur in the first place and i'm sure uh, there are a lot of learnings from uh, fellow vcs fellow founders uh, to you know gain absolutely on. yeah because it's an entrepreneurial journey so again you learn all of that along the way yeah. fantastic uh, ritu this has been you know fascinating a great learning uh, experience for me as well uh, you know any final thoughts for current and aspiring founders that are uh, listening to you through this podcast just go do what you want to do i think the last thing what i said was that you know my ex boss was influential in this but i think that give following your heart a chance yeah to build something to create something is you know is a high that is not replicable Awesome uh Ritu thanks a lot you know once again for taking out the time today uh, really appreciate you know your views perspectives and i'm sure like me a lot of uh, listeners are going to take away a lot of you know learnings and insights and hopefully we'll have you back on the show sometime soon thanks a lot Vicky i really enjoyed chatting with you
glad that you had me on here. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the VC Bruno podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please let our guests know about it. Share your thoughts on social media and let them know what were your key takeaways. We would truly appreciate if you could subscribe to our podcast on the podcast platform of your choice and leave us a review on Apple iTunes. This will help others discover the podcast. To get insights and to learn more about startups and venture capital, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We would love to hear from you there. You can find all episodes together on our website thevcpreneur.com. We will be back again next week with another VC preneur that is making a dent in the venture universe. Until then, take care and keep shining.